On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Jeremy Harbour from Unity Group. He's an M&A expert. We had an incredible conversation all around why you should be looking at mergers, acquisitions, roll-ups, all of it right now, uh, and you know different debt instruments that I had never thought of before, uh, different interesting ways of creating these incredible synergies, um, why buying a business uh, is so much better than starting a business. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. If you are a mid-seven-figure brand and above, listen up. Are you struggling with ads this year? Uh, how about growth in general? What about profitability? Supply chain issues got you down? You are not alone. As a brand owner myself, I totally get this. iOS 14 has ravaged many smaller brands. The good news? Our clients at Upgrowth and the brands that we own have not been touched. Don't get me wrong. We had to fight to figure out how to advertise effectively in a post-surveillance ad world. But we learned some incredible lessons along the way. And we want to share some of those lessons with you. So go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow to apply for a free growth plan today so we can show you what is working in a post iOS 14.5 world. Again, that is www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, have you tried 8fig? No, don't worry. I'm not talking about that new fad diet. I'm talking about 8fig, the planning and funding platform. 8fig partners with experienced e-commerce sellers to help you scale with planning tools and incremental funds. So how exactly does 8fig work? Well, to start, 8fig works with you to understand your business plan and to focus on what's already working in your business. Then you put together your costs and the inventory that you're going to need and 8fig optimizes your cash flow to fit your unique supply chain needs for the next six months and beyond. Once you've signed on to the growth plan, you're going to get the funds that you need when you need them according to your plan. What's especially great is that you don't have to start paying the cost of capital until after you've started to sell that inventory that 8fig is funded. This gives you breathing room for your cash flow. In addition, the plan is flexible, so you can change it as you go. Sell or more or less than you expected? Don't worry about it. You can revise your plan. Your shipment is delayed or your inventory is ruined. They'll work with you on it so that you can adapt as you go, keeping your business stable and sales thriving. On average, 8fig sellers experience 2x growth in their first year, all while stabilizing their cash flow, avoiding stockouts, and taking control of their supply chain. You already know that you're an 8-figure seller in the making. You just need an experienced and strategic partner to help you scale with confidence. So learn more at 8fig.co. That's the number 8, F-I-G.co. And make sure to mention Upgrowth during sign-up for 5% off the cost of capital of an 8-fig growth plan. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling, your e-commerce brand. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Harbour from the Unity Group. Jeremy, welcome to Secrets to Scaling, your e-commerce brand. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, for everyone who, you know, has been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, I go through waves and, you know, the kinds of things we talk about. Uh, M&A has always been one of those things that I've loved to talk about. I think it's one of the best ways to grow a business and a business group and the fastest way to do it. I don't think I'm ever going to build another business again. I'm sick of doing that. Love acquiring companies. So this conversation is awesome. Uh, Jeremy is an M&A expert. Really looking forward to getting into that kind of conversation, into raising money, into to all of those sorts of things. Uh, Jeremy, for people who don't know anything about you or your group, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Yeah, so certainly, look, Unity Group is a, a small private equity business out of Singapore. I mean, we used to call ourselves really private equity because uh, we, we don't take anybody else's money. We only do our own deals. So we're not, uh, yeah, we don't have partners or anything like that. But basically, I mean, our, our secret source is dealing with owner-managed businesses, which is, the you know, I mean, you're in this fragmented industry where pretty much every one of your peers is an owner-managed small to medium-sized business. You know, there's a few breakthrough big players, but predominantly it's a sea of, uh, of smaller businesses. And um, yeah. this is where we've really carved out our niche is buying and selling small to medium-sized businesses because it's completely different to the sort of, I guess, MBA traditional type model. And, you know, so most other private equity companies or corporate finance boutiques can't get their head around it. They can't do deals with, with owner managers. So um, we find we find we have pretty virgin territory out there when it comes to doing deals. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So walk me through the kinds of businesses that, that you guys look at uh, over there and the kinds of deals that you start to help people uh, also look at. Yeah. So look, our, our primary uh, focus is around doing deals uh, using creative deal structures that don't utilize lots of cash and we don't borrow money from banks and we tend not to tap up investors for capital either. So to give you an example, we uh, quite often use public companies. So take a company uh, uh, public and issue fresh stock as part of the acquisition consideration. Okay. We also have a product we call an extra bond, which is basically like a, it's like a bond. Um, you know, you, you'd buy a, a debt instrument, um, a tradable bond that trades on the, on the, on the, uh, stock exchange. Um, but we use it like a currency. So we actually issue the extra bonds as consideration for the purchase of the company. So it's kind of like having a seller note or a deferred payment model, but it's a lot more robust from the vendor's perspective because they receive it into their, you know, Charles Schwab account or whatever they, <laughs> wherever they have their stockbroking account. It sits yeah. there at its full capital value. It's managed by a regulated trustee who makes sure they receive their coupon payments on time. And then when it settles after, say, five years or 10 years, whatever the time horizon you put on it, the, again, the trustee manages the bond program and the return of the capital at the end of the period. So they're not just kind of trusting you to hopefully pay them maybe out of their own profits. It's a regulated bond program. And we found that's a very, we've done about 40 million euros of acquisitions using those bonds in the last sort of nine months or so. And uh, we found that a really, a really effective way of, of doing deals. That's a really interesting debt instrument. Who can take advantage of that? Like, like how, like, is this just European countries? Is this something you set up like in the States, in Canada? Yeah. You, you pick a big public company and they probably have a bond program. You know, uh, Microsoft, you can buy their stock or you can buy their bonds. You know, Ford yeah. motor cars, you can buy their stock or you can buy their bonds. So really it's, uh, you know, the way bonds have been used traditionally is obviously you go out and sell them and it's the cash you raise you give to the, uh, you give to the entrepreneur. Well, with owner managed businesses, you don't necessarily want to give them a whole ton of cash up front. You want them quite well vested going forwards. Plus there isn't a queue of people that are ready to do that either. So it's, it's if no one else is going to give them the cash, why should you be the only uh, <laughs> the only one out there throwing it around? Yeah. A definite buy side advantage when you go into those kind of uh, transactions, which means you can do these slightly more sort of esoteric uh, structures. But yeah, pretty much anyone can issue a bond. Uh, you need a bond trustee. There, it is a, it is a pro, you have to issue a prospectus. You have to have certain disclosures. So, you know, like when you're a public company, if you do something that materially affects the business, you have to have a way of notifying uh, your stakeholders that you, that this change has happened, like you've lost a big customer or you've gained a big customer or you, you know, yeah. something material has happened. So when you're when you're doing a bond issue, they're quite keen to see that you have that mechanism for um, keeping that transparency with your stakeholders. So as long as you have that in place, then uh, yeah, you can pretty much issue a bond. That's that's amazing. Uh, let's talk about the kinds of businesses that you guys are looking at, and and sort of in that market where you see the most growth potential in the next year or two. 
Yeah, so um, we, we have like a sort of sector agnostic uh, conglomerate, so kind of like a mini Berkshire Hathaway type model. So we have transportation businesses, construction services businesses, food and beverage, education, so a, you know, a whole raft of different businesses in there. So that particular vehicle is is quite acquisitive and uh, averages about a deal a month in terms of adding new businesses into it. It's got 28 companies in there right now. And then we also have a couple of other kind of smaller uh, roll-ups. But the, the most recent one we did is in the clean energy space. So we bought a battery solar hydrogen business and then a waste to energy company. And and, uh, and we have a, a sort of strong pipeline. Again, it's a fragmented industry with a lot of subscale players who have great technology and great solutions, but often struggle to get you know traction for them. And as part of a big public company, they can get you know government contracts or access to better clientele that helps them you know develop and grow those uh, grow those businesses. So. The clean tech business is listed in Paris. Um, it's quite small at the moment. It's like 200 million market cap. But we created that from nothing in about six months. Wow. Wow. So you created a $200 million market cap in six months. Yeah. <laughs> nice, Jeremy. Nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, I can say I definitely have not done that uh, yet. Yeah. You know, for, for people out there who are looking to do roll-ups, right? Because I, I really do think that the market right now is prime for roll-ups, especially in the e-com space with all of yeah. these smaller these smaller businesses out there. What sort of advice would you give to people who have, you know, started maybe on their first or second acquisition and now are looking to to sort of take that to the next level and and turn this into yeah. a bigger group? Yeah. So look, there's, t- there's tons of things. So one of the things that uh, a lot of people get bogged down in is the indigestion when they buy a new company. So they, they rush to get the synergies and the integrations out as quickly as they possibly can. And that can be very time consuming, but also can upset relationships and, and create quite a bit of damage in the business. So one of the things I would say is don't be in too much of a hurry to rinse out the synergies. Buying a business and pretty much leaving it alone for a little while isn't actually a bad thing. Mm. It keeps you know, it frees up the time, gives you a better chance to understand what's going on better, what the relationships are and that sort of thing. So um, uh, yeah, don't rush to get those synergies. You know, uh, in fact, I just want to step in there for 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 one second and just, uh, I just wanted to give a, give an example because I feel like that's such a good, it's kind of a little bit counterintuitive. It's like, no, speed, speed, exactly. speed, right? You you want to you want to do that. And I remember my COO of our group of outdoor companies saying that exact same thing on our last acquisition. He's like, we don't touch anything for at least two months. We just let yeah. it run and let's figure this thing out and then let's go. And I was like, no, 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 no. We've got to do it. We've got to do everything now. Let's go. So thanks for for bringing that one up, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that. Yeah, point. so uh, I actually, actually somebody, I've, so I've just got back from Boston. I was there for three days doing a thing called Deal Fest, which is where we get a whole bunch of our members together just to talk about deals and case studies and stuff like that. And actually somebody got up and gave a case study of IT business they bought where they got rid of the bookkeeper. Bookkeeper was married to the main programmer, main programmer programmer left <laughs> basically the whole business was a was a disaster from getting rid of what they felt was just an overpaid bookkeeper which and you know she was in the spreadsheet day one fuck she's got to go 30 grand for a bookkeeper no way you know oh my gosh the laws of unintended consequences you know so um yeah that's such a good example jeremy i think about uh i'm a huge seven habits of highly effective people person we we train all of our staff in it i really live by them and seek first to understand mm-hmm. then to be understood right it's just like yeah. of course First, figure out what's going on. Seek to understand all of these points. Don't like immediately just be like, well, that's $30,000 off of our balance sheet that we don't, or off of our PL that we don't need. I, I see it a lot. I call it kind of buyer arrogance. There's this buyer arrogance where you feel, well, I'm the buyer, therefore I must, I must be better, therefore I must understand what's going, you know. 
there's a reason I'm the buyer, not the seller, you know, and, and you have this kind of arrogance associated with it that, uh, that can often trip you up. So look, that's one really simple thing. The other one is leverage, you know. Charlie Munger said there's three reasons a man goes bankrupt and it's uh, liquor, ladies and leverage. And Warren Buffett chipped in and said he only says liquor and ladies because it begins with an L. It's really leverage. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and look, if you look at what's happened in the last few years, you know, you had people doing leverage buyouts, borrowing loads of money to buy companies, loads of cheap money flying around. You then had a pandemic, which completely changed the dynamics. We now have a recession and inflation, which again is changing the dynamics in unknown ways. And on top of all of that, you've got interest rates going up. So now that leverage is costing you more. So you've got a rising cost of, of borrowing in an environment that's more unstable. And, you know, those two things are a pretty heady mix, particularly when you often have to personally guarantee that debt. Now, it's tempting because it seems easy to just throw money around and, and get a load of businesses, but uh, there are smarter ways to do it. There are ways to structure a deal with no leverage or a very small amount of leverage in them instead of just throwing tons of money into it. And, you know, <laughs> more often than I care to uh, remember, have I seen roll-ups fall apart because they got over-leveraged. Hmm. Interesting. Can you walk me through some of the better ways to do that and the ways that might seem like leverage but aren't because i'd love to i'd love to know yeah. what some of those ways some, some of those techniques yeah, are so what, what, yeah one of the things is obviously making leverage part of a, a, a an overall structure so you might want to do some deferred payments some earn out yeah you know, a little bit of leverage build, build a bit of a structure of, of different things that you're bringing to the table the other one is using things like stock or bonds so financial instruments that you use as part of the closing uh, consideration there's quite a trend within my community we have a community called the harbor club which is sort of where this deal thing I was talking about. There's quite yep. a trend in the community at the moment around what we call work in buyout acquisitions or uh, minority roll-ups, which is where you actually end up just taking stakes in lots of companies, but with a controlling interest and building a group that way. So you keep you know heavily engaged partners in the process uh, on the other side, but you still get to build a, a group. And it's much easier to do that when you're bringing loads of value. So you know with e-commerce, there are synergies that can be exploited between multiple companies. And if you can monetize those synergies, by way of an equity position in the in the business, that can be quite a good way of not putting cash down but growing a, a decent size group. That's like like an, a kind of an equity swap for their their business comes into the group and they get equity in the group. That would be using shares for consideration. Um, but the minority roll up is pretty much you know give me twenty percent of your company and I'll make the other eighty percent worth twice as much in, in its broadest kind of description. So you're basically taking a sweat equity stake in the business. But with that 20%, if you can demonstrate financial control, and we have some uh, you know clauses that demonstrate financial control, then under IFRS rules, the International Financial Reporting Standards, you can actually account for all of their revenue up to your top code. So even though you're only a minority shareholder, if you have 20% stakes in five $1 million companies, you can have a headline revenue in your holding company of 5 million. So it gives you... Interesting. Yeah, it gives you the ability to to use them as the kind of or the you know the collective value to go out and you know pitch suppliers, pitch staff, go public, um, whatever it is that you want to do. Acquisitions interest me so much, and this this whole world and some of these instruments that you're talking about interest me so much because they they have to be win win, right? You you have yeah. to be able to create a win on one side. The other person has to, and you have to actually be able to communicate that, like, hey, th this I think can be a win for you, and find out if that is actually a win for them, while at the same time making it a win for you and your group. Yeah, exactly. So, I, what, what the, again, a big mistake I see people when they first get into this is that they treat acquisition as a procurement process because it's 
sounds like it should be. You know, it's like, well, let's look under the bonnet. Let's pick some holes in it. Let's, you know, analyze what it is we're doing. Actually, it's not a procurement process. It's a sales process. The first thing you have to do is build rapport and empathy with the person on the other side of the totally. table, the person that's going to totally. effectively end up selling you the business. And then it's, you know, all, pretty much all the way through from there on in, it's a sales process to get that thing over the line and get that deal uh, done. So. Yeah. And, you know, it, I see so many deals fall over where people do the upfront bit and then like hand over to a deal team or hand over to, you know, a lawyer or an accountant or somebody like that because they feel like, oh, that, that's what's supposed to happen next, you know? Mm. And then it, and it just all falls apart because you've lost that, that rapport. I've got to say too, on the, on the fundraising side as well, very similar, right? Where, where, you know, the CEO will go out and do some fundraising and then hand it off to, to somebody else. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, that doesn't work. Right. It's yeah, it's yeah. similar. Yeah. I think I think talking about it in the sales world, you would never do that in the sales world. You follow through, no, exactly. right? You follow and, through on the deal. <laughs> yeah. And look so look, M and A is a bit like raising money in that it's a massive fucking distraction. However, the the juice is worth the squeeze. You can create enormous value in your business. I remember the very first deal I did, we added a year's worth of sales in an afternoon. You know, so that it was a game changing activity and we didn't we didn't invest any cash into it. It was a distressed business. We just added their customers to our customers. Customer base. And that, that for me was the penny dropping and going, wow, this is really cool. And I then kind of started to challenge myself on where, where is my best use of time? You know, what should I be yeah. doing on a day to day basis? And so I kind of broke it down into two key areas. I was either involved in customer value or in shareholder value. And so customer value was the product, the logistics, the customer service, the, you know, finance, all of those things that touch the customer. And the shareholder value stuff was joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions, and exits. And very soon I realized if I could look at my calendar and all of my meetings were for joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions, and exits, then I was adding tons of shareholder value to my business and actually growing the value of the business. If I was doing anything else, those are the things that you probably do when you're a startup, but they, they need to be delegated. You know, they're all things that management should be doing. Um, but as a startup entrepreneur, because you did them in the beginning, you tend to feel like you're sucked into doing them over the longer term. And, it's, and, and I think it's what holds a lot of entrepreneurs back is that they're, they're in the weeds too much and, and not in the sort of uh, rarefied air of, <laughs> of strategic kind of stuff. Absolutely. I, I've got, uh, you know, 2022 has been ridiculously difficult for a lot of e-com brands, right? Like we've talked about, you know, if you're, if you're even year over year, you're winning, right? That's a huge win. Uh, in 2022, yes, there are, there's brands that they're doing great. Uh, the brands that we own are actually all up this year. I just don't want to say too much about that because it's, it's been it. a difficult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been, and we're not up huge, guys. We're up, you know, yeah. one of them are up 50 percent, one we're up five percent, and and I consider those massive wins. Yeah, but people are really, really struggling, and I've looked mm. under the hood of I don't even know how many brands this year and seen profits virtually disappear in a lot of these companies, but the CEOs yeah. or the founders don't even know the next step, right? It's like, well, you don't have any cash. You got to go raise some money or do yeah. something, right? Like, and the, the problem is most of the people who have built these one to $5 million businesses are just stuck in the business. So I am, yeah. I am absolutely with you there and cannot get out to see like, oh yeah, this, we, we can get through this and we can, and I think what you need to know is is synergy again i feel like everything comes back to seven habits it's like habits four through four through six are like win-win seek first to understand and synergize and if you can figure yeah. those things out and realize like oh i don't have to be a bootstrapped made it like this i think it's easier for for you and i jeremy not being americans because uh -huh. we're a much more interdependent society in canada right like mm -hmm. 
I understand I pay a lot of tax to help everybody else with healthcare and all that kind of stuff. I feel like we understand that a little bit more than Americans do. And so it's difficult to see, right? Where it's like, no, interdependence could actually get you, you and everyone else around you to this beautiful place. Yeah, you see, I think, um, and this is where entrepreneurship is headed. Entrepreneurship is moving away from competition and toward collaboration because, you know, particularly in the small to medium-sized business space, there's so much leverage in working with your competitors instead of against them. That You know, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, and I think, you know, we've seen that a lot with, you know, the birth of the internet and democratization of media and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it will continue to be a, a trend towards collaboration. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, uh, before we get to a, a couple of the last questions here, how do you help people with this? Do you have some resources that you can help people out with? Uh, th- yeah. These are hard waters to navigate. They are. Look, hey, this is like uh, when I peeked behind the curtain of this, you know, I, I always felt there were three levers that I could use to control my business, you know, sales, marketing, and your team. And I really felt that was everything until I discovered M&A. And then it was like, you know, you don't need to run the marathon. You just run the last 10 yards. You still get the medal. This is great. You, know? <laughs> you, get, you get someone else's blood, sweat and years. And, you know, for the last 20 years, I've still been kind of a student of this uh, vast, vast uh, topic. But look, I wrote a book specifically aimed at owner-managed businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, and it was called Go Do Deals. It was on the uh, Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. And yeah, it's a, that's a great resource for people to understand cool. how to put deals together without using capital, without borrowing loads of money from banks. And the reasons why you should do that, you know, why, why, should you add M&A to your repertoire of, of, of skills? Yeah. And uh, that, that's, that's probably the easiest kind of go-to resource for people, I guess, would be to um, yeah get get that understanding of it. it. If it's for you, it's a fantastic form of entrepreneurship, I think. It, it's given me an enormous amount of time and financial freedom, which you don't normally get from operating uh, a business. But if it's not for you, that's also fine. You know, So it's good for people to understand it and decide whether it's something they can see themselves doing. Totally. And, and I think it kind of goes to the, the, the strengths that you have as well, right? Some people are, uh, you know, who are operating businesses are real good operators, right? They're, they, mm, they love, exactly. you know, being in the weeds and stepping outside yeah, yeah. of that. When I think about operations, I want to puke. I hate operations. That's not, that's yeah. not the place I want to be. Well, somebody, somebody at DealFest told me, what do I do with my days? And I said, well, fortunately, I, I only focus on things I'm good at and I'm not very good at many things. So I have quite a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, Jeremy, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Buying a company. You know, don't, as I said, the, buying a company or merging with a company is the only way I know that you could double your business tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and without necessarily the, the risk of experimenting with marketing and sales and all of those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it, it can have a dramatic impact. It's an order of magnitude improvement. Most startups do very, very well in the first two, three years in terms of growth, but then growth will plateau eventually. It gets harder and harder to move the dial as you get bigger. And M&A is a great way of just strapping another engine on the plane as you start to get to that, that sort of altitude, um, take you up to the next, take you up to the next level. So I think having M&A as a part of the strategy is fantastic. Um, but look, the other thing I would just say as well is that you don't really make money running businesses. You make money when you sell them. So creating capital events is also a really important mm. part of the entrepreneur journey. So, you know, yes, it's good to be the buyer, but it's also really great to be the seller. Yeah. This is yeah. where, this is where you get the, you know, you get the financial freedom. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much time you get back when you sell a company. So you get mm. the money and the time. It's quite a powerful. I mean, obviously you can become an alcoholic and get divorced and buy an Aston Martin or can become really powerful and, and move up a level. So, uh, yeah, capital events, I think are also important for entrepreneurs because it, it gives you a lot of yeah power going forward. Absolutely. Jeremy, I got three more questions for you. I hope that you are ready. 
I'm ready. Awesome. First question, uh, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Do you know what? I really don't. I, I went through a big purge of deleting apps and I've actually got two phones now and I've got one phone that has almost nothing on it. Mm. Literally, no no social media, no nothing. I haven't even got it logged into like a Google account or anything. It has no email, has nothing. It has WhatsApp and that's pretty much it. And, and actually, awesome. um, for, for business, oh, it's got Deliveroo as well, actually. <laughs> uh, most of my deals, I actually do buy WhatsApp. So it's become a really, really good tool. So between WhatsApp and Zoom, they're probably the two most important tools for actually getting deals. My team will use Mondays. <laughs> like communicating with people. And I don't, yeah, like, exactly, communicating. But, yeah. But as methods of communication, you'd be amazed how much you can actually get through on WhatsApp with a combination of voice notes, sharing documents, and uh, mm. and typing. And it's it's instant gratification. So yeah, you can uh, yeah, it's amazing how much of a deal you can get done in a WhatsApp group. Yeah, awesome, awesome. That's great. Second question for you: favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Ah, do you know what? I, I'm guilty of not listening to any. I'll, I'll have to start listening to yours, obviously. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, obviously, I, I, um, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old kid, so um, having any kind of quiet time to listen to something is, uh, is, a, is a long gone ambition. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I've got uh, yeah, I've got kids right in that age range, plus a, a three-year-old too. So I, oh, wow. I hear you. <laughs> uh, last last question for you: If you could sit down with anybody, you get an hour with them. You could have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, whatever you like. Can't be Elon Musk. Who would it be? Ah, it have to be Warren Buffett. Uh, or, or Charlie Munger. So go for some um, of that, uh, some of that traditional wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm so with you on uh, both, both of those guys. I, actually, I was thinking about Warren Buffett the other day. I don't know why I was thinking about Charlie Munger, but I was like, the world is going to lose so much wisdom when both of them or either one of them die. Like, like real world wisdom. I loved seeing them during crypto. Just be like, yeah. no, no thanks, no thanks. We're just, we're good here in our lane. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible. It, just incredible wisdom from those guys. Yeah, no, it would be, uh, yeah. But, and, I, and I use their quotes so many times. I, I catch myself uh, saying things that I've heard them say so many times. No, oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. I am. I'm totally with you. I, ca- I catch myself in those moments of, of, you know, when the market is freaking out about things being like, okay, what would these guys do right now? Where would they be putting their money? Where would they be? Would they be freaking out right now? <laughs> Which is probably, yeah, yeah. probably never. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Jeremy, thank you again. Uh, one more time. Where's the best place that people can connect with you? Um, yeah, hit me up on the normal social media channels. So it's Jeremy Harbour, H-A-R-B-O-U-R. So the uh, English spelling, not the American spelling. So yeah, Jeremy Harbour. So there's jeremyharbour.com. There's Jeremy Harbour on Twitter, on Instagram. Yeah. Hit me up at LinkedIn. Uh, hit me up any of those. Awesome. Awesome. That is great. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. Wonderful. No, thank you for having me. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.